and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of the leading branding firm Siegel & Gale. From April to August 2020, I interviewed 50 CMOs from around the world as host of the Siegel & Gale Future of Branding event series. Although it pains me not to break bread in person, we've uncovered invaluable insights and memorable human stories during this virtual season. In many ways, this podcast provides an exclusive oral history of how brands and CMOs live in the COVID-19 era. From the decisions facing CMOs during this time to the commitments they are forging for the uncharted road ahead, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections on our discussion. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to Siegel and Gale Future of Branding Roundtable. Every fortnight, we meet five leading CMOs to explore how they are building their brands. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global CMO of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. Today marks the 10th and final episode of season one. Since COVID-19 hit, we have hosted 50 CMOs and over a thousand guests across the world as audience members. This virtual series arose in our hearts. We care deeply about brand building and the marketeers doing this courageous work, often without a blueprint. We have the privilege of knowing thousands of marketers across the world, CMOs who are willing to tell their stories unfiltered, vulnerable, and strategic, and audience members in search of inspiration, solidarity, and perspective, all caring deeply about our craft. This series is about meeting marketers where you are. And today we are going to meet five CMOs to hear how they are building their brands and in particular, how they are prioritizing collaboration. Reflecting on our CMO conversations over the past month and past couple of months, it's clear to us that fomenting, fostering and flourishing relationships with peers in the C-suite is a critical success factor for driving impactful marketing. And that's the conversation we're about to have today. Let me begin by introducing our panelists. I'm going to say hi to each intern and ask you to tell me who is your most important C-suite partner. Let's begin with Riham El-Lakhani. Riham is the CMO for Single Family at Freddy, joining us from DC. Good morning, Riham. Good morning, Margaret, and it is a pleasure to be with you and with all of the panelists. And who is your C-suite partner? So I thought about this one, and it is my chief risk and underwriting officer for the company. Interesting. Next up, we're delighted to be joined by Miriam Banakaram. Miriam leads marketing at Nextdoor. And joining us, I think you're in Canada today, Miriam. I am. Um, so thank you so much for having me, Margaret. It's nice to be here with everyone. I think the answer to that depends on the day. And so I would say today it would be our head of product. Okay, let's head over to the Bay Area. Oh, no, let's head to London next. How about that? I see Raj Kumar. Raj leads reputation and brand for Aviva. Yes, hi. Thanks for having me, Margaret. And uh, mine would be the chief people officer. Interesting. So now I'm keen to go to the Bay Area and hear from Martina Truco, who leads corporate marketing and comms for Micron Technology. Good morning, Margaret. Uh, hello from the Bay Area. And I would say it's hard to choose because I think they're all really important to us right now because this pandemic and this situation is creating a situation that's unprecedented across our business. But if I had to pick one, I'd say our chief operations officer uh, who leads two thirds of our workforce and all of our manufacturing and facilities operations has been a really key partner to us. Okay, fascinating. And staying in the Bay Area, 
I see Shantar Patibaram from Cooper Software. Shantar, good morning. Hi. Good morning, Margaret, and it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on the panel. Uh, the, the chief, I think, relationship now, I'll go back to, you know, first principles in B2B marketing. It's more important for, for the CRO, the chief revenue officer, and the chief marketing officer to be fishing from the same boat uh, in our B2B business. So that's what I would go with for now. Marvelous. Isn't it fascinating hearing the variation in partnerships? And I think we would all concur with Miriam's point. It depends on the day and all are important. So let's understand what each of you are dealing with in turn. Reham. I'm going to start with you, Freddie Mac, very mission-driven organization, and an organization that, in my mind, in many ways, through supporting lenders, makes the American dream of home ownership so much of a reality. But yet today, so many Americans are facing great financial hardship. Just love to know your reaction, what you've seen from your vantage point as it pertains to the Freddie Mac brand and the COVID-19 interact. Yeah, uh, and, and you're absolutely right, Margaret. Uh, we do, uh, we are a mission-driven organization. We support the American dream. We partner primarily with uh, lenders, uh, mortgage companies that uh, offer these mortgages. And so we are a B2B business in terms of our transactions. However, in terms of our impact, it definitely impacts homeowners. Uh, all over uh, the U.S. And uh, with COVID-19, we were faced with the challenge of uh, helping our direct customers, who are the lenders, as you mentioned, but also understanding that uh, all of our actions are impacting homeowners and renters in some cases as well. And uh, obviously, their ability to pay mortgages, to pay rent, uh, something uh, top of mind uh, to everyone, including uh, Congress, and uh, it was something they addressed in the CARES Act, for example. And so we had a large role to play with this pandemic. Now you're celebrating 50 years in since your creation. So we happy, are happy birthday, <laughs> Freddie Mac! This this summer, right? Yes, and just to make the distinction, Freddie Mac is celebrating 50. I am not. But uh, <laughs> no, no, none of us here on this. No. Uh, but uh, yes, it's it's uh, it's been a um, again, our role has been reinforced during this uh, crisis in terms of the support that we provide to our clients. But beyond that, to the broader uh, homeowners and uh, looking back at our 50 year history, we've always been there. Uh, difficult times and good times. And it's great to kind of sit back after all of the adjustments we had to do with the pandemic and reflect on what we've done in the past 50 years. And quite frankly, since February of this year, that has been uh, quite challenging. What stands out in terms of your most impactful response? Um, for this particular uh, crisis, this pandemic, um, one of the things we had to do, as I mentioned with the CARES Act and other regulations, um, we had to communicate about how these regulations impact our direct customers, so the lenders, and it impacts the way they transact with us, uh, some of the technical details on our policies. And that's something we do often. However, we really strive to be a brand that is viewed as a partner, not as a, uh, a, a product or a policy uh, shop, but rather as a partner to our clients. And so to be true to that brand, we set out to provide clear, simple, concise communications to our clients, but we didn't stop there. We, we also realized that our clients who are banks and independent mortgage bankers, we're struggling with providing information to homeowners and renters quickly. It, it, the people are asking all kinds of questions. And while that is strictly not our role to do, it was true to our brand to help our clients, to be that partner to them. So we actually launched a campaign that uh, focused on our direct clients, but also on homeowners and providing them with information. It's called Help Starts Here. Mm -hmm. And it really is about helping. Not, not about transacting, not about the product, but offering all kinds of resources and help to our direct clients as well as to homeowners. So talk to us about collaboration. 
and how what's working, how you've achieved alignment internally within your organization for that or any of the other marketing programs. Yes, and uh, I have a great relationship and marketing has a great relationship with all of the C-suite and they really truly appreciate what we bring, uh, both in terms of marketing and communications. Um, however, as in many other heavily regulated industries and ours is, um, there tends to be sometimes a healthy tension, I'll call it, with uh, some of the control functions and hence my uh, choice to, to call out our chief risk and underwriting officer as a partner. Um, we are heavily regulated, so anything we put out in terms of marketing, content, or communications is scrutinized, um, reviewed by compliance, legal, risk. And they have their cycles and, and times. But with the pandemic, it became clear to them that we needed to move quickly. And so we were able to establish a new way of working together where they're not, um, we don't create and then hand it to them. They were part of the creation process. They set in on creation, on ideation, got involved very early on. And that helped us expedite that process. And quite frankly, built a really good relationship with these control functions that we often look at as, um, again, as I said, healthy tension there. Do you see that practice continuing? I absolutely do. I think they've gained such a level of uh, understanding of why it's important to be quick to market uh, with communications. But also, I think there's almost a um, human element to this of, of empathy, because in a way, we all became um, clients, meaning everyone had a thirst for information. Uh, from our employers, from our landlords, from our grocery stores. And so those in the control functions, our colleagues, realized that just as they were in such a, a hurry and a need to understand what's going on in their lives, so are our clients. And that empathy, uh, we talk about it, we try to bring the voice of the customer to everything we do. But when you walk in their shoes, which is what happened and this pandemic made that very clear to everyone, I think that's something that will last and that empathy is now something that's going to be day to day at how they think about their work as well. Marvelous. Well, thank you for that, Reham. Let's now go from home ownership and that dream to neighborhoods. And um, as I introduced earlier, I'm to have Miriam Benicarum leading marketing at the So Miriam, I'm an avid user of your platform. And, um, you know, in many ways, Nextdoor to me is, is like finding trust sources among my neighbors and small businesses. And to a large extent, my observation is since the pandemic, there seems to be, if anything, an increase in active users on your platform. Lovely to hear from you in terms of what you're experiencing with Nextdoor and what's driving that behavior. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I took February 3rd, so three weeks before the pandemic really hit and we went to work from home. And pretty immediately, I would say we sort of all recognize the importance of being connected um, based on proximity, right, to the people who live closest to us. Nextdoor was really founded on the idea of leveraging technology to connect you, but really with the idea of connecting you online to then connect you offline. And I think that idea of people who are close to you, right? The Pew study says the importance of actually having connections to those who live closest to us, because in times like work from home or in a time of pandemic, the people who are going to be able to come to your aid are those who live closest to you. So what was amazing was to see people live their purpose almost immediately at work and not dissimilar to what you just heard. I think everybody sort of showed up and the first thing that everybody needed was trusted information from sources that they could actually rely on. So our first business was making sure we got you hyper-local information that you could trust, whether it was from the NHS in London or the Red Cross in Canada or here in the US from the World Health Organization or the CDC. And then, um, to the point of empathy, I think what was amazing was really about a week later, you began to see on the platform neighbors raising their hand to offer to help each other. And so we knew a lot of people who, among all of us, who couldn't run groceries for dealing with children or other complications. 
So people were offering each other um, help on the platform. And so they were offering to run groceries for people or errands or anything really. And sort of the preponderance of help that was being offered or even asked for on the platform was amazing to watch. And I think, um, you know, when I think about the product team and the engineering team specifically, everybody was seeing the need of the customers, right? And so we were sort of living through actual need, right? It wasn't about marketing. It was actually about meeting customers' needs. And so they really mobilized quickly to set up help group functionality so that you could find people who are either asking for help or offering help quickly. Um, then they actually took what was a map that had been developed, sort of a visual map that was developed for trick-or-treating so that you could pin your house so you could figure out where the most um, place to get candy was if you were a kid. They took that functionality and repurposed it for the help map. And so then you could actually visually pin yourself on a map so people could figure out how close somebody was who was either offering help or asking for help. And so I know, like, for example, in my neighborhood of Chelsea, New York, um, you know, there was a woman who was looking for help and um, somebody eventually in the help group was like, can somebody who's closer to her um, maybe help her because they were in the West Village and there were there were people who were offering to help. They were closer to 28th and 11th. Right. And so that kind of functionality, I think, um, was what the product team was really focused on. And I think um, not just similar to what you heard, I think everybody was really motivated by really helping different customers. And then as soon as that happened, we also sort of moved to trying to help our local businesses, right? Neighborhood Vitality is all based on the businesses that um, you love, right? From Joe's Coffee Shop to Murray's Bagel Shop. Um, and we all quickly recognized that they were suffering. And so enabling them to be able to offer takeout and post information that said, I'm still open, um, enabling gift cards, right? So people were going to Murray's Bagel Shop and buying bagels to actually send to essential workers as a way to support that business, but also support the community. It's that kind of thing that you began seeing on the platform and that really everybody was working to enable. And I think you know, you have to recognize the moment you're in, right? It's not about the transaction, right? Like you just heard, it's really about actually being there for people um, in a meaningful way. And I think that's really amazing to watch, not just in the U.S., but in all 11 markets in which we operate. And is my observation validated that you have had an increase in active users over the period? Exponentially. I mean, right, I think um, we had people who maybe had been light users who came in and were active and a lot of new users. Um, you know, knowing people near you matters. And I think that one of the things that we're going to see on the other side of this, and let's all hope we'll get to the other side of this, is that people will be uh, much more connected to their immediate neighborhood. And I think that um, not dissimilar to Freddie Mac's conversation, I think you're basically revitalization is going to happen one neighborhood one neighborhood at a time. And I think people are going to be very hyper-focused on what they are experiencing sort of real time, right? As New Yorkers, we're always running. One of the things I began noticing on the platform was people started posting pictures of, you know, tulips or like nature, right? Which you almost never notice in New York because you're always running to the subway or running to a taxi. I think um, we're beginning to recognize that um, caring about what's closest to us and taking care of each other, whether that's the local business or, you know, the big box store that also, by the way, needs to survive or your actual physical neighbors um, is something that really is going to be our pathway forward. And honestly, if there's a silver lining, I would say that that would be it, that everybody wanted to help each other and find a pathway forward. Tremendous. So one of the things that certainly I recognize as an immigrant, that a sense of place and neighborhood is, is really important and I can't recommend Nextdoor more as just a wonderful platform to achieve that. So thank you for that, Miriam. Let's now head over to London and reintroduce Raj Kumar, who leads brand and reputation for Aviva. So Raj, straight up, you know, reputation is in your title. How is Aviva building? How does one build reputation in these times? Oh, you started off with an easy one there. Uh, no, you build reputation basically by being there. I think it's the biggest thing. So what we've, and that's exactly what we did as soon as we went into lockdown, actually. And one of the first things, for example, we have, uh, we had a big leading insurance company, for those of you who don't know us. And uh, we have a health insurance business. And one of the first things we did was say, you know, uh, and our employees said, well, we're trained health people. We'd like to go and volunteer for the NHS. And they all went on full pay, uh, you know, 
we also had a lot of the um, we also had a lot of people really worried about the fact that they were now all working from home, and uh, they said, you know what, we have a lot of home equipment suddenly in our houses. What about our home insurance? What about our content insurance? This is not mine. This is, belongs to the companies, etc. We're like, don't worry about it. So uh, it was really relevant actions that we take for our for our people and our customers uh, that really builds that reputation. You have to be there when it really matters. Yeah, Raj, you serve, if my research is correct, over 30 million customers around the world. So a very, very significant scale. And what strikes me as intriguing is your mission with you today for a better tomorrow. How do you bring that to life in the context of COVID-19? Well, actually, first is with you today. <laughs> so we have to be together. And, uh, and this is one of the things that we've really encouraged across our people uh, and our people enabling that for, uh, for our customers and our businesses that rely on us, really. And that's why I said the chief people officer being, our, being a, so important for me, because the brand is as the brand does. And the doing is done by all 28,000, 29,000 of us in the company. And to enable that to be done the best way, we need the chief people officer. Uh, we need to make sure that the people, and we all know how different situations we are in. Somebody's isolated, somebody's caring, somebody's got kids, etc. We all need to make sure that they are the, they're in the best possible way enabled to help themselves and to help others. Any particular example of what's working to achieve collaboration of an organization of your scale? Um, do you know, what I found difficult about collaboration right now is that we're all making an effort to collaborate. And what I find really difficult about it is we're all making an effort to collaborate. <laughs> it's not as easy when you're spread across the world. Uh, and, and I think for me, the biggest, biggest thing actually is getting the alignment. Uh, collaborating is easier, I think. What we're looking at is getting alignment, and, which is slightly more difficult because there are so many questions to answer. Do you want to all come back to work? Lots of people want to come into office. Lots of people don't. What are the kind of propositions that will you know, endure? What are the attitudes of people that will endure? What are we going to see demand increase of, not of? What kind of a macroeconomic recovery is it going to be? So I think where we're looking at is collaborating really hard for scenario planning because nobody knows where we're going to be. So the alignment is, is in one sense that we're all aligned that we know it's going to play out in a different set of scenarios. So let's work on a different set of scenarios and various ones of them. And I think that's where the collaboration is really focused on right now. And it seems in listening to your comments, there's a notion also here of not so much a transaction, but community. It seems to mirror some of the earlier discussions from Reham and Miriam. How would you react to that? You know, uh, I wrote that down, actually. Uh, and. For me, the biggest thing has been seeing a change from what I would call being tribal, which is, you know, getting to know people who are like you, who like things like you, who are your echo chamber, essentially, you know, mm. being communal. And that's a big shift. Suddenly, your people are getting to know people in their own communities, and they all may not have the same taste, the socioeconomic background, the same mindset. They may not vote for the same party, but you're all coming together. And for me, this shift between tribalism and sort of more polarization to communities is a massive, massive shift. And for Aviva, we said, you know, we work in the same towns as you. We sort of, you know, live in the same streets as you. We face the same issues that you do. So obviously, we will also work across our communities to make sure we're getting the best, uh, we're making the best of the situation. And you've, just so I heard it correctly, you've created a context where people can volunteer and get fully paid. Yes, yes, they all. Absolutely. And, and that's, is that something of an innovation for a FTSE company? To be honest, I don't know if it's an innovation, it's the right thing to do, because we do have the means to, uh, to you know, do this. And, uh, and uh, like I said, because we, we're part of society, and I think for us as a business, you know, it's so much more about profit. I mean, we've seen that all across. It's sort of triple bottom line, uh, you know, and that's what we're really looking towards also. Uh, and this is where marketing does play such a massive, massive role uh, for me, because for me, marketing and our team, you know, we look at the company and we think about the customers and we think outside in. And we're probably the only ones who think of a, a brand as the brand. 
rather than this department and that department and that department. And we can transverse ourselves. You know, we go across from insight to customer experience, to propositions, to digital. I mean, we bring it all together. And for me, that's how we are doing marketing right now. We, we, we are the ones who can really bring that outside in and tie it all across and say, look, this, this is what we really need to do. Uh, because we can see all the spans. We're not in a silo. We're probably very few sort of place of privilege of not being in a silo and also thinking outside of it. Fascinating role for marketing there to have that lens and perspective. Really appreciate the distinction between tribal, which is so encouraged by many of our behaviors these days on yeah. social platforms, to community, which is much more proximate and potentially real for all of us. So thank you for that, Raj. Let's now go to hear from Martina. Once again, Martina is VP and Global Head of Brand Marketing and Comms for Micron Technologies, an innovative memory solutions company. Hello again, Martina. Thanks again for having us here, Margaret. It's uh, it's really exciting to hear so many of these experiences because um, I, I really identify a, a lot with what Raj was mentioning about community and and the importance of of being there. And when we have the ability to influence our communities, doing the right thing and showing up. And um, wanted, wanted to call that out and thank Raj for commenting on that. And so important. And you two have a large organization, thousands of employees. What's working from a collaboration standpoint? And speak about your personal relationships with colleagues in the C-suite. It's a great question because we absolutely have 37,000 plus employees around the world. We operate R&D and manufacturing in over 18 countries. And as you can imagine, um, with operations spanning from China, Singapore, Taiwan, India, Japan, Malaysia, uh, throughout the US, um, and of course across EMEA, we have been on this, I would say this marathon, not a sprint, uh, really since January. And it's been um, pretty critical for us as we started out to very quickly pivot to creating um, a series of task forces that were critical for us to drive collaboration. Because um, to your point, as I mentioned earlier, um, every one of our C-suite executives is actually really requiring partnership and all of our organizations as well, we realized through those task forces, we needed to bring together our people teams, our environmental health and safety teams, facilities, my communications and marketing teams, et cetera, to really be meeting on a regular basis to be evaluating everything that we needed to do in real time, very often changing policies and procedures um, almost by a minute by minute basis in some cases to be able to respond to the changes that we were seeing across our entire footprint. And I think that's something that really has led to really successful results for us. And, you know, when you when I talk about I mentioned why it had resonated so much with Raj's comments about community, because that's something that was very much at the forefront of us when we started to, to tackle the crisis. We said um, from the very beginning, our CEO, Sanjay Marotra, said, uh, don't just do what we have to do, do more. Micro needs to lead and we need to do that for our team members, for our customers and our partners and for the communities that we are a part of. And I think that's really been a critical watchword for us. And one of the things I'm most proud of is, is that when I look at everything that we have done, we looked at everything that we had the ability to influence and we did more and we really showed up with commitment. So when I when I look at that, it's everything from making um, special assistance payments to over 60 percent of our team members around the world to help them get through these difficult times. Um, we provided you know, over 300,000 pieces of personal protective equipment, uh, donations to make uh, sanitizer. We made our facilities available to local officials if they needed them for emergency use. Uh, we accelerated payment terms to our small business suppliers, which is something that I think isn't necessarily obvious for uh, a Fortune 130 company, and yet is something that we realized was critically important to them to be able to, to help them keep the liquidity that they need to get through these times. And we also, at a corporate level, created a $10 million COVID-19 response fund from our foundation. And, and that's really something that I think when I look at that, I see what we've built on top of that. And what our team members have done is really respond to that in kind and put themselves as well into that into that giving place. And so I've seen kind of an incredible set of stories that our team members have, have really been sharing with us. And we decided from a brand perspective to tell those stories externally. Um, so I can tell you a little bit more about that. It's interesting. It seems like that rallying call from the CEO provided the clarity and the permission for people to go that little bit further. 
Is it also accurate to say that you had something of a paid volunteer program as well? Absolutely. Absolutely, we do. And in fact, it's been something that is very much part of Micron's culture from our founding, you know, over 42 years ago. So we're uh, 42 years young, I suppose, in the innovation ecosystem and uh, maybe a little bit of an outlier in the Bay Area, because in fact, while I'm in San Jose, our headquarters is in Boise, Idaho. And that really orientation to goodness and our giving programs is something that has been part of Micron's ethos. We provide the opportunity for team members to take paid time, even beyond this crisis, to be able to do volunteering, give back. And we also have a very robust um, matching giving campaign where our team members donate uh, either their time or their resources, and we match in kind. And actually this year we passed, just recently we announced we had a a $10 million milestone that we passed this year of all of our employee giving, as well as our matching on top of that. And that's in addition to all of our corporate giving that we have done. So you can really see how our team members have rallied together behind this. We've seen team members who have been, you know, mobilizing and prioritizing product deliveries for medical devices in China early in the pandemic, which were critically needed to get to hospitals. Uh, We've had team members who decided to create an informal um, soup kitchen in their neighborhood in Mumbai because they knew that they were seeing the need that was out there and they needed to respond. Um, We've seen team members who have, you know, really even just continued to commit their commitment that they already had to organizations like Meals on Wheels in our hometown of Boise. And all of that is something that really comes through from that rally cry, as you mentioned, to say, do more do everything that we can and find the places that we can have an employee. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that, Martina. So staying in technology and staying in the Bay Area, we have Shantar from Coupa Software, the business spend management platform. Fascinating technology at an interesting time. I imagine your economic buyer may well be the CFO. Um, who's thinking about risk mitigation, cash preservation, et cetera. What are you seeing right now and where is your emphasis? Yeah, it's a good question. First of all, it's, it's great to be here. An amazing thoughts from everybody on the panel, really inspiring stuff. Um, so, yeah, for those of us who don't know, as, as, as Margaret said, that, you know, what Salesforce.com does to sales on the CRM side is what we on the other side of the house, we do to spend a business spend management platform. $20 billion manage more than, $20 billion worth company, we manage more than, you know, $1.7 trillion worth of spend. But what's interesting for us in today is you're talking about the, the change going back to the CFO is that what we've seen is that the CFO is the economic buyer and just not for Kuka for every company. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the Maslow's hierarchy for a CFO right now, it's sitting right on top of them. It, on top of it is, you know, risk mitigation and capital preservation. And below that is even revenue. Revenue obviously is on top all the time, but you know, it's more, it's less, it's more difficult to control the revenue in today's time than capital and risk. So that's where, you know, the CFO in many times becoming the CFO officer, where <laughs> they're looking at is every technology essential, just like every business is essential. They're looking at, we're looking at it from that perspective. That's been their mindset of that is every technology essential and why should I buy it? So that's been the posture of the CFO. So that's why from our perspective, uh, it's been interesting that, you know, I've even been telling companies that address, go back to what the CFO's mindset is today and say that, can you go and align and pivot your message to align to that so that you can become more of something essential in their mind that you can, you know, you know, be successful in that mindset. Now, while the CFO may be your economic buyer, your partner was the chief revenue officer. Yeah. Classic sales and marketing alignment that pervades the tech industry. Talk to us about that because you seem very thoughtful, but sales requires a bit of hustle. How are you reconciling those two postures? It's a great question, Margaret. I think you have to be at that intersection of thoughtfulness and hustle. Just to give an example, right? You know, we do business spend, and you know, our old campaign for the year uh, was around was around excellence. You know, and we big, we're big believers in community and excellence together. Hashtag together, as to Raj's point. However, it'll be tone deaf after March 5th to be speaking about excellence in industries that are going through different sorts of challenges. So what we had to do is come together as a sales and marketing organization, fishing from the same boat to pivot our positioning. And that's why I talked about, you know, and pivoting our positioning, going from something called excellence to more resilience. That was a kind of one concept at a brand level called resilience. And we had to harmonize that at a brand level, at our sales messaging level and our customer stories level so that there's harmony across these three layers for us to ultimately go make this successful when we talk to our customers. So that's why, and we had to do that in three weeks, Marcus. So that's why we're talking about the hustle of doing this and aligning with sales in a co-creation mentality. 
Now, you touch a lot of interesting things there. Salespeople have quotas. Success and excellence seem very tangible things. Resilience, maybe a little softer. How are you continuing to keep them on board with that shift? And how are they achieving the level of sales that the growth imperative requires? Because we're all on the receiving end, I think, of a lot of calls from salespeople that may be a little tone deaf, but yet yeah. sympathetic with their passion and their mandate. Yeah, so I think you need to be provocative with deep empathy. Now, Jeffrey Moore has a great thing from the last downturn. He talks about in a good times, you do you know solution selling, where you listen to the customer's problems and you say that I have a great solution for that. In bad times and economic downturns, you do a little bit of provocation selling where you're saying that, hey, this is the problem you're going to have without having my technology. But do that with deep empathy and provoke the customer in that standpoint. So that's the posture shift that we have you know, worked with sales to say that we are, if you don't have this as an essential technology, for example, in spend, you're going to have the challenge of managing your bottom line. Because in today's world, a dollar saved is more than a dollar earned, uh, given where the economy is. So that's the posture we have shifted. Um, but it's also interesting for us from a brand posture perspective when it comes to customers, what we have learned. But I'll, I'll pause that and, and probably share that in the next, next piece. Yeah, because it is interesting. The level of sophistication required for provocation selling is different from the classic solution selling methodology. Did that require you to spend more time with sales, more training, more brand training, more tools? Yeah, it's a good question. In all these things, when you have large sales organizations, you got to take the Forrest Gump approach, not the Forrester Research Deep Technology approach. So in all of these, while you can talk about provocation selling and all these fancy words, it's got to go down to something that's simple, you know, one or two slides and what does it mean to sales and take that Forrest Gump approach so they can consume it. Consumability becomes the key word there. So that's the effort of good marketing here is how do you make something that's sophisticated into sales consumable? And that's where the real effort has been from our perspective. Excellent. Well, thank you. I think through this five conversations, very different takes on alignment, but consistency around the importance thereof. So let's go back to collaboration again and back uh, starting at the top with Reham. Reham, talk to us as you look forward um, in the post-pandemic era. What's the kind of collaboration you're going to need? What's going, what are you going to need to achieve your marketing plan going forward? Yeah, and um, one thing I, I definitely listening to, to my fellow panelists here, I was jotting down notes, some uh, great uh, lessons to be learned and, and uh, definitely a lot of common themes. And I think going back to uh, Martina's comment about, you know, they're, they're all uh, we, we all work with all stakeholders and depends on the day. Um, I think going forward, uh, the alignment that we forged uh, with our uh, risk controls is something that I want to make sure we maintain and it becomes part of how we um, do our jobs as, as marketers. But uh, echoing all of the comments from, from the panelists, we work very closely with the CFO. Uh, we, I will have to use the CFO uh, line as well. But um, we, we work very closely with human resources, um, the volunteerism, and that I really love what Rush said about breaking down that that tribalism and, and becoming more of a community that's happened also within the organization and so uh, leveraging that and making sure it's not something that as we emerge from this crisis um, we forget and we go back to our our ways not just as a um, as a citizen of the world is in and in our neighborhoods but in how we do our business and how we work with our colleagues and uh, that is something that I Hope we will sustain. I plan on doing my part uh, in doing that, but I also would will look to my colleagues to to further that collaboration and carry forward as a community. I, I really do love that term, Raj. And and what's your commitment to that? You just to be very pointed, personally. Yeah, yeah, and and our personal commitment as marketers, we we still have that role of ensuring that we are the voice of our clients that that uh, empathy and thinking client first is not lost and that despite all of our various disciplines that we talked about in terms of what our businesses do at the end of the day uh, in my view marketing and communications is about that human interaction 
And the more as marketers and communicators, we can ensure that that human element is visible and present to all of our partners internally, uh, the better off we will be in, in our job and uh, our companies will be in a, in a better spot. So it's always my commitment that that human element, even beyond the COVID, even beyond the crisis, we don't lose touch Okay, so Miriam, same question for you. You know, high growth company, lots of emphasis on partnerships and product and, and much more besides. What's the kind of collaboration you need going forward? And what's your commitment in terms of the marketing organization to achieving? Well, I mean, you know, we're still a startup, right? So it's different than when I was in, we had 100,000 employees. So um, it's kind of a different equation. I mean, I guess what I would say to you is, uh, in, at a startup in particular, it's all about collaboration, right? You're like all in it together trying to move um, quickly um, while also being strategic. And so I think, um, you know, work from home has brought a new dimension to um, the experience. And I think we're all going to learn what that's like. I mean, in terms of collaboration, um, you know, I always thought of marketing as um, just being a general manager, right? You have to be focused on the business and be focused on revenue and, and sort of the engine. And so if you think through that lens, you're collaborating with everyone because in the end, you have to be a good problem solver. And I think um, that's probably true in my career, but I would say in a startup, that's even more the case, right? Because you're constantly solving a different problem. And so um, that, that requires collaboration at all levels, right? Because different things show up at different times. and. I think being able to pull back from the weeds and figuring out, uh, I say to people all the time, every problem has six different ways you can solve it. So um, if you can think collaboratively and bringing the right people to the table to figure out how to get to the solution, that's sort of always been the name of the game. And so you just, as a CMO, you do that from this seat. But frankly, I would say every executive um, does that from, from their seat. So that recognition that you're in it together and that you're a team, um, as an executive team, but really as a company. I think that's really what collaboration is about. And I think, you know, work from home has, um, I think one of my favorite things about work from home is that it's forced everybody to be much more authentic than they might have been before. Um, because now, you know, yes, you can have Zoom backgrounds and, um, and whatnot to um, show your brand. But the truth is, on most of the calls I'm on, somebody's kid cries, somebody's dog shows up, you know, the doorbell rings. You get to see what's behind them. I noticed actually one of our panelists had an amazing piece of art. You get to see what people are really like in an unvarnished way. Frankly, I think that allows for much better collaboration because um, you get to see the good, bad, you know, the complicated, which is a life we all always manage, but didn't always put on display. Um, and I think that brings the empathy to the table, right? And so that I think it's, I think that's going to allow for better relationships moving forward. And, the, and your commitment personally in that regard? I think my, I mean, honestly, so, you know, you joked about, um, I think somebody's company being 50 years old and them not being 50 years old. Um, you know, I think I celebrated 50 a year or two ago. Um, and I would say my commitment in general giving back, right? So, I mean, yes, I'm in this job and I would love this to work in terms of the company. But for me, I spent a lot of my time thinking about how I'm bringing other people on the team alone. Um, my commitment is in passing it along, right? It's not about the next run. It's about making sure that people are coached to achieve the thing they want as part of the journey. I think that that collaboration means that you have stronger teams. And in the end, that's the legacy you're going to leave, right? So I think um, my commitment is about, about that at this point, right? It's about um, sort of being on that journey with your team and not, um, not, not doing it otherwise. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Miriam. Raj, see for yourself. Large company, global scale, um, significant investor commitments, of course, inherent in your business. So what are you going to need from a collaboration to achieve those goals? And the same notion of commitment. What's your commitment to getting there? I think my commitment is to uh, is for growth, really. Um, the time where I feel... I personally am sort of, you know, as a marketing person, I feel I'm always optimistic. I have a sort of expansionist mindset, a growth mindset, really. I mean, you don't get into marketing to shrink anything, right? That's a close job. <laughs> no, I joke. Uh, it, you get into marketing because you want to grow, because you want, you want people to know about your company, the great things that you do, etc. And for me, 
th- there is no better time than to think about you know this than now, when even people feel that when you're hunkering down, uh, or the fact that oh you know there's so much doom and gloom, it is that optimism and again. I feel mocking people bring the optimism, and I I definitely am a sort of eternal optimist, honest. So my commitment is for is for that growth, but also to make sure that uh, this thinking is something that uh, you can bring in a relevant way and form to the C, you know, CXO community, really. Because going there with a the chart that shows, oh, if you advertise through a crisis, you came out better after 20 years, is, yeah, I mean, who cares? Tell me how it means, what it means to me today, to my business, and what are you going to do to find that new segments, the new opportunities, what are you going to do? And I think that relevance along with the commitment is what matters. And Raj, how do you get people to suspend disbelief? I'm, I don't, you know what, I think uh, it is really by showing them that when there is an opportunity, showing them the opportunity. I think it's very easy to see and be all despairing about it. But given the tools we have to hand, given the insights we have to hand, given the changes, I mean, it's a massive opportunity. I see, for example, yeah, 70% of the NHS in the UK is women. Even today, when all the women are, everybody's at home, sorry, you know, most of the caring responsibilities are falling on the women rather than on the man, even if both of them are working. We also see that when it comes to saving, women are more, you know, attuned to saving rather than men. That's a huge opportunity for us. I mean, get women saving more for, for, for themselves, for the family, for the country, for their own independence. There's massive opportunity. And that's what we talk about. And there are many, many such things. And I think uh, it's only, you only have to look really. Interesting, a very interesting perspective. And I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Aviva is you're the first company that provided parental leave for men. Equal parental leave, equal, yes. Equal parental leave for men. Yes. So you certainly um, subscribe to that view of, of equality, as it were. Definitely. Tremendous. Okay, let's go to you again, Martina. So marketing, always an important driver in a software company. What kind of collaboration are you going to need? You, you've set a broad stage of saying all your C-suite colleagues would be required are important. What does that mean going forward? I spoke quite a bit about collaboration in the context of COVID-19. And one of the things that I really committed to on my, behalf of my entire team and really for the company has been what I call radical transparency in our approach. That has been something that has been incredibly successful for us as we've had to communicate with clarity and with frequency. And again, with that transparency, not only to our team members, but also to our customers and partners and to the communities that we're a part of. And I wanted to really emphasize that that isn't something that isn't just because of a crisis response. What we have realized is the value of that approach needs to be something that we take well beyond where we are today and as we you know hopefully very soon manage to to move into sort of a, a post pandemic world we are examining what that means for our marketing communications and really our company approach more broadly because even when it comes down to um, the the key drivers when we talk about our collaboration with our customers everything that we do in the semiconductor space with the high value solutions that we provide with memory and storage to our customers there is a huge component of collaboration and partnership that has to happen there and whether we are co-innovating with them to try to find solutions to what their future problems are going to be or really setting the stage for what the overall technology leadership needs to be in our industry that notion of really having transparent clear open collaboration and communication is something that isn't going away and i think it's a real competitive advantage for companies to think that way, because it does offer possibilities to think about things a little differently than, than we might have thought about, to Raj's point. Um, look at other opportunities and, and also welcome other voices uh, to really come up with some more of those ideas of how we can tackle those things differently in the future within our company as well. Now, often, Martina, in the B2B realm, it is stated that marketing or brand is not the center of gravity of an organization. How would you react to that in this context around collaboration? It's really interesting because I resonated very much with the notion of um, 
how ultimately we become almost the hub inadvertently because we do collaborate with every one of the functions in the, in the company. And when I see all of the business objectives that a company like Micron or really any other company has, when we are successful in achieving our objectives, that is what has ultimately an impact on our brand and our reputation and our position. And so from our perspective, what's really been critical is even though Micron, as I said, is uh, 42 years young in the innovation space, when we look at our marketing communications muscle, it's pretty new in our company. It's yes. something that as we have evolved from seeing ourselves as a supplier to a strategic partner to our customers, we've also needed to evolve how we understand and view that role of marketing communications as being a strategic driver for success. And that's something that I think I'm very excited to see because our leadership team really understands the value of that. And I think that's a key success factor of what as well is to not just have the CMO be uh, you know trying to to make the case, but rather having the entire C-suite be bought in in terms of how important it is for that to be a driver behind and supporting all of our business. Thank you, Martine. It's fascinating to me listening that no one mentioned the CEO. So maybe that's implicit um, ostensibly as your number one partner, but I, I think that's an interesting, uh, simply an interesting observation. Well, so, I would mention, Margaret, you know, that I, I had mentioned that Sanjay, our CEO, had actually been the real driver behind all of our approach to all of this. I mean, he was the one that said to us from the very beginning, do more, do more, always show up more. And I want to point that out because you are absolutely right. The, the tone comes from the top. And then it's up to all of us as leaders to take that and make sure we bring it to life in everything that we do. And having that strong leadership is again, something that, you know, it's, you can't overstate how valuable it is when the CEO takes a very clear position about what the company needs to do to be successful. Absolutely. So finally, Shandar, big ambitious goals, collaboration essential to achieving them going forward. What's that going to look like? Yeah, so I think every B2B marketer can take inspiration from Miriam and Nextdoor and say so they can take the Nextdoor approach to brand building, which is you do brand building only by community building. So that should be the posture for us in today's times, right? Brand, build your brand only by building your community and you can get the byproduct of that, right? If you do that and if you take that and break it down for us, the collaboration for me would be I talked about the, the this revenue side of the house, but the chief customer officer and myself and the CMO aligned together, going after the install base right now and telling the stories of the install base in terms of what they're, how they're really succeeding. So what's happened is, you know, people have traditionally viewed advocacy as your customers advocating for your brand, meaning how good your product is, how did, here's the ROI, here's the TCO, here's the benefit. But if you can flip that in today's times, rather than them advocating for you, you advocating for them and how they're showing the resilience and the success in their communities and in the community and success, I think it'll be very good from a brand perspective for all the stuff you talked about, empathy, authenticity, and stuff like that. So that's the posture shift. And I think the chief customer officer and the chief marketing officer have a unique opportunity to go after existing customers and showcase their lessons of success. And you know, we did that with something called spend setters. It has nothing to do with our product. We just launched an independent site called spend setters after COVID, uh, spendsetters.com, which is really talking about how these customers are addressing COVID in their respective organizations being successful to inspire the community. And it's fascinating, Margaret, when we go ask for, a, when companies go ask for a case study in these times, that posture from the customer is very different than when you go tell them, tell your story. And you would get a lot of them leaning in and says, I'm willing to tell my story to inspire the community. So that would be the collaboration that's interesting for us. So there's no TCO, total cost of ownership. It's all about the humanity and how they, the solution impacted their, their lives, as it were. I would say it's total community ownership rather than total cost ownership. It's all about how to inspire the community in this case. Oh, I love it. A new, a new definition of TCO. Uh, you heard it first here, folks. So that sounds wonderful. What's your commitment? What will you do differently, Shandar, to achieve that aspiration? Because it's quite a shift of posture. And yeah, so, yeah. So I think, you know, all these things, what gets measured gets done. So for us, we have this core value called focus on results. So for me, it's one thing to say, I'm going to partner with the CEO and go tell these great stories. But tangibly, we have said every month, every quarter, we're going to have five new stories of coming out of these excellence and resilience in these companies. 
So that's my commitment to really showcase the success in the community to inspire the community and, and stuff like that. So we made it very tangible of what comes out from my marketing team every quarter. So that's an interesting commitment. It's not just philosophy. You still need the systems and processes behind it to bring that marketing to life. And the measurement, to be very clear, the systems and the, pro and the measurement to get the marketing to life, right? So, so what specifically are you measuring and how has that changed? So I think for us, if you look at these, you know, this is a great time for us to go after the install base, not only in customer stories, but also for install based marketing in terms of driving revenue from the install base. So we have very specific, tangible plays that we're going after the install base and set up specific goals is that we want to go drive these opportunities and this pipeline from the install base as much as these customer stories. So getting very specific measurement items for these, what I call plays, is, is the commitment that we're doing in the organization. Yes, indeed. Well, well, thank you for that. Really interesting to hear how you can at once speak about resilience and still tie it to revenue. Yep. So in thanking all of you, our panelists, as ever, I'd like to offer my reflections on our conversation and indeed this series. The way brands and leaders respond to this crisis is a defining moment that will be remembered for decades. Several hypotheses come to me as I consider how you as CMOs are setting the conditions for success for your organizations and your brand. And I invite everyone in the audience to tweet your takeaways also using hashtag future of branding. Here are my immediate for now hypotheses. One, how a brand responds to this crisis is a function of the culture pre-pandemic. Two, brand purpose is a powerful organizing principle to mobilize and unite people. Three, leadership is about connecting people to purpose. Management is about defining the systems and aligning the business model. Remarkable CMOs do both. Without collaboration, we have neither. Hypothesis four, marketing leadership is a contact sport. The CMOs and their teams who cultivate a direct understanding of their customers, their colleagues, and the community are not just surviving in this crisis, they're building their brands as well. Hypothesis five, brands that realize how to be essential will earn reputation and build relevance that will serve them post-pandemic. And a final hypothesis, inspired by the wisdom and strategic insight here today, organizations with empowered CMOs at the board table, at the boardroom table, have the best chance of doing well and having a successful reset post-pandemic. The beating heart of this series is really our strategic conversations. So thank you. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you, Reham, Raj, um, Chandar. Thank you all for sharing your insights with us. Thank you, Martina. To our audience, know that, and I should say this to the CMOs as well, know that we'll be keeping an eye on you and keeping track of your commitments and your progress as you live out these commitments shared today. To our audience, thank you very much since April for your participation, your feedback, and your encouragement. Meanwhile, in, in large part, we recognize that this series since April is something of an oral history of how brands and CMOs are living in the pandemic era. So recognizing that, soon we will release these 10 episodes as a podcast series. Similarly, we look forward to returning with season two very soon. So please keep an eye on for all updates, social media in particular, LinkedIn and Twitter, follow Siegel and Gale 
and Margaret Malloy for all updates. On a very personal note, I am very grateful and proud of my collaborators in this series. Big thank you to our producers and our production team, led by Alison Carrion and Ashley Noonan. Assistant producers, Mick Smith, Kasha Kraftcheck, Kevin Loftus and Patrick Goff. Researcher, Ellen Harkin. Graphic design, Isam Karatis and blog editor, Daniel Alonso and all of our colleagues at Siegland Gale, thank you. On behalf of everyone at Siegland Gale, know that we are committed to sustaining the joy and the value of brand building that connects this community. Please don't hesitate to call on us when we can help you with your brand challenges. I'm Margaret Malloy, CMO of Siegland Gale, thanking you. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.